If you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, that will be our text for this morning. You know, as a child grows, we want them to know certain important bits of information. We want them to know their age. Often, what do we do? How old are you? What are you trying to do? You're, you're building into them some things that are important for them to know about who they are, their personality. We want them to know their first and their last name. That's kind of an important thing. And we try to teach them their parents' names. And why is that? Because when you lose them, then they can say who they belong to. I don't know if any of you have ever been lost when you were little. That's one of those things that's indelibly stuck in my mind. I can remember all the things that were going on around me when all of a sudden I realized I had no idea where my parents were. Possibly a phone number, which is kind of tricky because most of us at this point with all the speed dials that are on smartphones, we don't know our own phone number. But that's an important thing for our children to be able to get in contact with us and then where they live. In our neighborhood, we have lots of children. There are children going by our house every day on scooters, on bicycles, on rollerblades, on skateboards, and sometimes just a miscellaneous stray child walking past our house. Sometimes through our yard, at least they used to till, till we have a fence put up, they're still welcome to go through, but they might meet our puppy as well. You know, there are bits of all, all this information is important for understanding their security who they are. I want to begin the thought this morning, where is your permanent address? For about six months, when we moved here to Fargo, we lived at 3413 45th Avenue. Now, that wasn't a permanent address. It was just a temporary address. Before then, we lived at 9654 Godwin Street for over 10 years. But that really wasn't my permanent address either. 13 years, we lived on Hancock Street. And before that, we lived in Indianapolis. But you know, in each of these, the thing we have to remember is those are not our permanent address. You see, you're going to live somewhere forever. Our friends, our relatives, are going to live somewhere forever. Yesterday, a man that was going to come and help me work on some things around the house, I, I verified with him. I said, are you still coming today? I haven't heard from you. And he wrote and said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to call. He said, a lady that is like a second mother to me died last night. And he was beating himself up. He said, you know, he said, when I learned she had cancer, I didn't know how to keep in contact. I didn't know what to say. And so he said, I just kind of went dark for a while. I didn't really say anything. And he said, so yesterday, actually Friday night when he learned that she had died, and then Saturday morning when his best friend called and said, did you know my mother died? He said, I felt horrible. Because he said, I didn't know what to say, so I just didn't communicate with them. You know, his loved one 
now has a new permanent address. I'm not certain what that address is. But you know, when we go through a time like that, we don't like the emptiness we feel we can, when we can no longer enjoy their company. The greater concern that often we think about through that separation is this. Where are they now? Where did they go? Where will I go? Will I ever see them again? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus addresses these questions. He teaches the doctrines about heaven. He teaches that there is a hell. He teaches the doctrine of salvation. He teaches the importance of being confident of where we will go and the fact that you can be secure in this text we're going to find an interesting contrast we're going to find that there was a certain rich man now what i want you to notice is remember how we studied on wednesday night in luke chapter 16 verse 1 you know how jesus started that and he said unto his disciples there was a certain rich man here at the end he's talking about there was a certain rich man it makes you wonder were these the same people were these the same people that he was addressing? In the first part of the chapter, he was reminding his disciples about the importance of relationships and the importance of riches, but knowing how to use those riches. Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, he had a man who was um, a steward. But the steward did a poor job. It wasn't that he was stealing. He just didn't manage well. And so, all of a sudden, when the rich man came to him and said, give an accounting of what's going on. My, my financial affairs are not in good shape. He said, you're fired. Bring me the books. I want to see what's going on. And remember what we learned? Here was a man who began to realize that riches are only a vehicle. And Jesus taught the lesson. He said, you know what, if, if unsaved people, if people of the world understand that you use wealth to be able to gain relationships, he said, shouldn't we as Christians, shouldn't we as followers of Jesus Christ understand the importance of relationships so that people will go beyond us and will be waiting for us when we get to heaven? Now he comes to the end of the chapter and he says, there was a certain rich man. And now he comes to the conclusion of what he was teaching at the beginning of the chapter. And he says, there was a certain rich man who lived in an incredible house. Notice the comparisons. The rich man dies. And we can appreciate the smart planning and the use of the resources. But they fail to prepare for the permanent. His address. We don't really know for certain. We know Lazarus's address because Lazarus lived at the gate of the wealthy man. We just don't know where the wealthy man lived. But the way he describes the gate is it was a large enough gate that it was almost like a city gate. It was a large building gate. Lazarus just lived at the gate. As we heard this morning as we were reading, the rich man has plenty Lazarus had nothing. 
But we also learn something based on what we know about the Jews. The Jews were told that there really shouldn't be poor people in the land. The wealthy people ought to look out for the poor people in the land so that they were at least taken care of. It wasn't a charity thing, but it was an opportunity for the person to have a way to dig themselves out of the situation they were in. As he describes Lazarus in this text, Lazarus was a man, it said he was full of sores. These are the same kind of sores that are usually because someone hasn't had proper medical care. We also know he was late at the gate daily, which means he probably had some physical disabilities as well. And as we look at all these different points, as we look at the comparison, the rich man had so much, he could have very easily helped Lazarus with his sores. He could have very easily helped this man. And I'm sure, based on what we're reading here, the rich man had a couple choices. He could throw him out. He could get rid of him so that he wasn't at the gate every day. But the concern was, if I throw him out, other people are just going to come sit at my gate. He could feed him. He could take care of his wounds, but he didn't want to do that because that would have been using the money that he had. Or he could wait until he died. And if he died at his gate, it would show everyone in the community, don't come and stay at this gate. You're getting nothing from me. As Jesus is telling this event, Jesus says, um, beginning at verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died. And notice who his pallbearers were. And was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now I want you to notice, they both died. But what Jesus is teaching here is, where do people go when they die? Jesus is going to tell us something. You see, no one except Jesus has ever been able to give a credible answer as for what happens when we die. No religion, no professor, no educator, no one can tell us what it's really like. Now, we have a lot of people that say, oh, I died, I went over, and I've come back but they really can't give you details. Jesus gives details. Jesus was able to answer the question for us, and this is an important thing. Notice in the Old Testament, there is a world of the dead. It's called Sheol. It's used 65 times. It's a place where all who have departed this life go. It is both for believers and unbelievers. In the New Testament, the word for the uh, world of the dead is the word Hades. It's used 42 times. Sheol and Hades are not really hell, the ultimate end. Both refer to a temporary place, whereas hell, as people often will refer to it, is a place of punishment that lasts forever and ever. There is one other place in the New Testament. The word's only used one time. It's the word Tartarus. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It appears to be in the deepest part of Hades. Probably it, too, is temporary based on everything that we can see. Then we have a second word in the New Testament called Gehenna. Gehenna 
was a location just outside the city of Jerusalem. It was the city dump, and it was the place where they were constantly burning. It was the place where they would take all the garbage, all the refuse. It was where they would take bodies that were not claimed, and they would throw them out there, and they would burn them as well. And Gehenna is the word that Jesus uses to help us get a visual picture of what hell is. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, we read, It's where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, we read, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Notice, what, what Scripture is teaching us is, is that when a person dies, that's not the end of them. When a person dies, they don't just disappear. They're not annihilated. Our King James Bible uses, translates all these words that I've just described as hell. Therefore, sometimes it's hard to understand what he's talking about. They lead us to believe that all these places are actually the same when they are not. Let's look at a couple verses together and... Um, let me see, uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Notice again, Psalm 86, verse 13. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. In Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. In Genesis chapter 44, verse 29, we read, And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring me down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, this is talking about Jacob, who is fearing that he would lose another son after he has already lost Joseph. In Psalm 88, verse 3, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. In Psalm 89, 48, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. What I want you to notice, each of these words, some are used of believers, some are used of unbelievers, and they all are the same word of Sheol. Now, I want you to notice some observations we can draw from this. First of all, I want you to notice Sheol is a place where both righteous and unrighteous go immediately after death. Um, Sheol is a place that seems to be the dwelling place of the soul because the body is buried, yet the soul is alive and goes to this place. In Psalm 49, 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. Literally, the righteous are expecting to be released from this place one day. Jesus describes hell, uh, Sheol, and Hades in the Bible in our text here. We're going to find that two men die. They end up in Hades, the rich man. Lazarus. They both went to Hades, but they didn't go to the same part. This is an interesting thing for us. Let's think for a moment about the compartments that we see here in Hades. There are two, and if you want, you could probably describe it as three parts in Hades. 
you have the side where Abraham is, and it talks about Abraham's bosom. Literally, the word bosom means his side or his garments. And the idea is, is that the Lazarus went to the place where Abraham was. Then there is this great gulf. You could call that a compartment or not call it a compartment, whichever you want. So that's, there's two or there's three. And then you will find there was a place of torment. All of these are in the location that you would describe as um, Hades, being in hell. Now I want you to notice some things here as we consider these. In verse 25 we read that this was a place of comfort. This place called Hades is a place of comfort. It is the place of paradise in the Old Testament. The scriptures tell us that he was escorted by angels. I want you to notice also, not only was it a place of comfort, but I want you to notice it was a place of companionship. Do you notice that after death, here is Lazarus who lived many, 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 many years after Abraham, but do you notice they know each other? I want you to notice, what do we learn about death? We learn that death does not cause you to cease to be you. Death always takes you to the next place. It's a separation from those here on earth, but you don't disappear. Sometimes people will say, well, you just live any way you want, and when you die, you die. That's just the way it is. You're all gone. Well, they're misinformed. They don't understand what the Scripture is teaching us. All right, so we have a place of paradise, a place by Abraham's side, a place where they knew each other, a place where they communicated with each other, a place that was a, a wonderful place to be. I want you to notice there was a great gulf, which Jesus doesn't really spend a whole lot of time on. And he really didn't spend a whole lot of time on the place of paradise. We have more descriptions in this text of the last place, the third or second compartment, depending on how you want to label those, and that is the place of torment. I want you to notice with me, Jesus wants to warn us. Jesus was telling us this for the purpose of letting us know we need to prepare, for the purpose of warning us this is not a place we want to go to. And when you hear people say, well, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. What I want you to notice is on the torment side, there is never a description of any fellowship. There is no description of any communication. There is no description of the other men that he knew in this life that he communicated with them. The only communication we find is on the paradise side. And this is important for us because we need to understand the truth. We need to know the facts so that as we're talking with people, we're comfortable and we're conversant with what does the Bible say? This place of torment, it does not appear to be an intermediary place that he died and then went somewhere and then went to the place of torment. The way Jesus describes this is when they died, Lazarus went to be in a place called paradise and the rich man went immediately to a place of torment. That ought to sober us when we realize our friends, our neighbors, 
are going to go somewhere forever. I often hear people say, well, now they're out of their pain and suffering. At that point, I'm not argumentative. But in my mind, I hope so. But what did Jesus teach? When you die, your soul, the real you, is going to go somewhere. Um, interestingly enough, is it possible to escape from Sheol or Hades? And I have totally lost connection here. So, Luke, I'm going to ask you to use the right arrow key, and I'll just tell you when to push the button, okay? Go ahead, and if you would press the, uh, the right arrow key. And if you'll keep the screen turned this way, that way I at least have an idea of where I am. I want you to see the scriptures talk about there was an escape from Sheol or Hades. You see, one of the victories won by our Lord Jesus Christ by his death, his burial, and his resurrection is that the church-age believer does not have to go to Sheol or Hades. If you would, press that again. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 31. And I want you to notice what happened. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Next slide, please. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. What I want you to know is, the scriptures foretold that Jesus would not stay in Sheol, in Hades. You see, when Jesus suffered for us, he went through the entire death. He went through the separation from God. Next slide. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we read that Jesus... When, they, when he had spoken these things unto them, behold, they beheld him. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What's this telling us about our Lord Jesus? He is not in Hades today. He is not in hell today. He is today at the right hand of the Father. And then you notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. Next slide, please. Ever since the resurrection, the believer at death has not gone to Hades, but to be present with the Lord who dwells in heaven. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, if you would turn to that for me. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus now stands at the right hand of God. When we are absent from the body, a believer now today is present with the Lord. And we as New Testament saints take this for granted, but what you need to understand is how did this take place? How is it today that we do this, but all the Old Testament saints did not? When did this escape from Sheol take place? Next slide, please. This escape took place in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Remember he told the thief on the cross, he said, remember me when you go to paradise. And Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. What took place? He didn't get baptized. He couldn't. He was on the cross. What did he do? He believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, unlike the thief on the other side who mocked him, they each made a choice that day. And the one thief said, remember me. And Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. So this is interesting. Jesus didn't go to heaven first, did he? Jesus went to paradise. And what took place? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8, and ti- uh, 8 through 10 reveals that paradise is no longer located in Hades. But paradise was taken with Jesus Christ up into heaven. You see, the paradise section of Hades, of Sheol, is now empty. The place of torment is still there. The great gulf is still there. The people that are in torment can't sneak over to the evacuated side of paradise. No, they're stuck where they are, and they're still there. The only place that Jesus Christ emptied, he took those that were captive and took them with him up to heaven. Why weren't the Old Testament saints sent to the place of comfort and paradise? Why didn't they go directly to heaven? Well, the Old Testament tells us that the sacrifices were inadequate to cover sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 tell us, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that, was, that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. You see, animal sacrifices were an exercise of obedience in which people trusted by faith that God would provide a permanent cleansing for them. That's why in John chapter 1, John, the last Old Testament prophet, looks to Jesus and says, that's the lamb that will take away the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross and he cried, it is finished. He was describing what the world had been waiting for. John chapter 19, verse 30 tells us he was saying this final sacrifice for man's sin was paid. You see, both those that go to paradise and those who go to Hades are sinners. The latter died in their sins, while those who resided in paradise were forgiven of their sins sometime. Jesus himself gave us clear direction on how to obtain 
the gift of going to heaven. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by or through me. You see, as we've come to worship God today, we worship a loving God. We worship a God who cares for us. I think often we, we tend to take Jonathan Edwards' approach and present sinners in the hands of an angry God. At least the title of his sermon was somewhat misleading. It's sinners in the hands of a holy God. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's not an angry God. It's a loving God. He died for you. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, his part was he came, he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death. And he went to a place called paradise, the place of hell, and took those that had placed their faith in one that was yet to come, and he took them with him to heaven. Only by Jesus Christ can we now gain access to the Father who is in heaven, where paradise is located. You're going to live somewhere forever. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever prepared for your permanent address?